Hey everyone, it's Blake, and welcome in to today's episode of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we welcome back our friend Ian Hamilton for 411 uh, to discuss uh, the G1 Climax and kind of recap the biggest takeaways from this year's tournament. Uh, we also uh, go into some of the individual storylines that are playing out uh, moving forward as New Japan gets ready uh, for the road to Power Struggle, and then of course Power Struggle will take place November the 7th. And also, uh, after the interview, uh, I go into some uh, thoughts on WWE Hell in a Cell this weekend on Sunday and what we can expect uh, from that show and some of the biggest matches uh, on the card. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation with 411's Ian Hamilton. All right, our guest today is Ian Hamilton. And of course, we had him on before the G1 Climax and previewed all the action. And now we have him back on to review uh, everything that took place uh, from this year's G1. And Ian, uh, hopefully you're getting to rest and catch up on other things. But uh, as our, our listeners and uh, our readers of 411 Mania know, uh, you're still working on a lot of other things uh, on the website. Yeah, it's been a hectic month to say the least, shall we say. Um, G1, you know, the collective weekend, it just never stops. And, you know, you know men being in the middle of a pandemic and stuff slowing down. Sure as heck doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't at all. And, you know, there's lots happening in the wrestling world, as we know. And we're going to dive into the biggest takeaways from the G1. And we obviously have to start with the winner, Kota Ibushi, picking up his second straight win in the G1. Uh, Ian, what'd you think? Uh, just uh, Ibushi uh, being the one to come out on top here in this G1. Um, so, I mean, I'd picked a Okada Kenta final during all the pickings, you no know, post wrestling, voice wrestling, what have you. Uh, so Bushi going into the finals and even winning the whole thing, I guess it's one of those kind of you know New Japan things where you look at it and go, oh, you should have seen it coming. I mean, yeah, you know, we had the you know three falling off in pandemic, you not know, because of the pandemic, where he was tag team champion, uh, lost it pretty soon after the restart. I would guess in you know, quote normal times he would have lost that belt pretty you know, the tag titles pretty soon afterwards. Um, but yeah, I mean you had that felt like months, so it was probably only a few weeks. Uh, the New Japan Road Tour, I think it was, the New Japan Cup, where him and Tanahashi were getting beaten all over the place, you know, lost the tag titles, didn't get them back, and then you know, the team of Tanahashi split up. I think in hindsight, that was probably a massive uh, sign that we all missed. I mean, it's been things, what, since 2003, 2004, since the last time we had back-to-back G1 winners, you know, being the same guy. I certainly didn't think it was going to be a bougie break my streak. Yeah, I was right there with you. And like you said, I mean, maybe we should have looked at that a little bit more in terms of that potential story. Uh, but I thought it would be some of the others that you mentioned there. And, uh, you know, there were lots of people, of course, talking about Okada. Uh, you mentioned Kenta and, of course, Sonata. We'll talk about him in a second. But one of the things, uh, you have a column going up on 411, and we're going to put that in the link here on the show notes, as we always do. This is almost a scenario now for Ibushi, and you know we remember how everything played out uh, this year, earlier in the year at Wrestle Kingdom in terms of the, the double gold dash and everything, and it almost feels like, okay, this is that redemption step for him uh, where it pays off and for him in terms of finally winning the title and maybe getting, uh, again, that ultimate redemption story uh, for Ibushi. I mean, we've kind of had a similar thing with uh, Naito. We had that story, okay, it was over a much longer period of time where he had, you know, the, you know, he had the main event, but then the fan poll put him into the semi-main event. He was very sour and bitter over that, as you'd expect. And he had that big payoff earlier this year that Kent ruined. Okay, he finally got his fireworks at uh, Jingo Stadium a few months back, but 
know, this to me feels like a much more condensed version of that story. You know, we've got you know, last year Ibushi won with G1, but he ended up being what you know, if you want to play it like a mini league, he was the fourth place out of the four guys from the tournament. Got his title shot in night one, lost, had that unofficial third place playoff of Jay White on night two for Tokyo Dome, lost that. Um, and my only concern, and you know, we are what 21st of October when we're recording this. We are good, you know, two and a bit months out from uh, Tokyo Dome. Right now, there's been no rumblings at all of it being a you know mini tournament again. So, but you know, what my big worry is is this going to be a situation where they maybe split the belts. You know, is this going to be sort of going just for that one big title that he has never held before, and then that's how you get out the double gold thing, which. Okay, we've had for a year, but I really don't think New Japan's been able to kind of harness the way they would have hoped. Yep, uh, agreed. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with this. And it's also going to be interesting to see where things go for Sonata. Uh, He met Ibushi in the finals. And like you, I thought, you know, there was some disappointment and some underwhelm, I think, from people uh, in terms of Sonata in the final in particular. Uh, We wondered if this was going to be the next step for him, but I know a lot of people left disappointed in how everything played out uh, at the conclusion of the tournament. Uh, I don't necessarily think, Ian, that this was probably the ending people wanted for Sonata, and I'm very curious to see uh, where things go for him in terms of maybe being someone uh, kind of at the level that he's at right now in New Japan. Uh, Does he, you know, what's what's the next step uh, for Sonata? I think with Sonata, the big issue that you kind of had with him is we've had this in the UK. He's been brought over a lot with uh, RevPro. I mean, he had that spun uh, just after Royal Quest last year. He came back, well, stayed over, I guess, for the cockpit for like two days later, the next day. So RevPro's live cockpit's a tiny 150-seater building that they ran monthly shows in. Um, But he was the surprise name they held back in. I mean, for a while, you know, we've seen, you know, depending where you listen, like different tidbits of, you know, they poll you know, Japanese wrestling fans on mass and Sonada, Evil Naito, Hiromu are, you know, some more popular names. So it's not surprising that New Japan are pushing Sonada to the extent they are. The problem that I would say with him, at least, is to a Western audience, it just isn't connecting, I would say. Like, you've got this situation with Sonada where, you know, he had that run as part of the tag team, you know, with Evil. Harmless enough, but they were really running out of steam. As a singles act, I mean, you know, he's had you no know, flirtations with you know singles titles, but to me, this feels like it's the you know always the bride made, never the bride kind of deal with him. Yep, uh, I agree, and it seems like the same situation for him. Uh, and then you look elsewhere, I guess, in this tournament. Uh, Okada, we come out of this probably with a much different spot than maybe we thought he would in terms of his storyline that he has moving forward. Uh, it was all about the Rainmaker, the money clip, and how he was winning his matches. And now he's set for a match uh, at Power Struggle uh, with Great Okan. And so this was uh, another, you know, we talk about all these different individual stories that always play out in the G1. This was an interesting one uh, for Okada. I mean, look, look uh, Tomoyuki Oka, Grace Okan, whatever name you want to call him. He's been out in New Japan since, I think the last time he was on a show in Japan was June 2018. Um, I was actually present at the show in England when he you know, starts the excursion. They did a, it's a gimmick where Rev Pro Strong Style Evolved. They did this gimmick where it was um, 
no, uh, Sosa Umino on night one and a guy called Danny Duggan on night two. They were New Japan's young line and Ref Tos young line. Although Danny Duggan's done a lot more progress since, but that's by the by. Um, and no, it was a, against question mark. No, Khan came out, got absolutely no reaction at all. Like, it was more of a who the hell is this guy kind of thing. Like, what is he? I mean, I think the big thing with that was at the time, no, I know there was a little bit of uh, rumbling that he was going to go away on an excursion, but it wasn't the big, like we saw with um, Ren Reed or Shota Umino, hey, I'm going away on an excursion, I need to better myself. It was a kind of, you know, shuffle off a back door kind of thing. Like, um, I don't even think Oku even got, like, the, the grandiose farewell. Like, we saw um, Kawato, you know, now uh, Master Wato had the, you know, the farewell. Uh, Ren Reed, uh, Shota Umino did after the Young Lion Cup last year. He kind of just shuffled off, popped up on Rev Pro shows in England. And I mean, I've seen a lot of this guy over the last two years. And what I will say with Cradle uh, Khan, I don't know whether this is because the gimmick itself isn't very, um, isn't going to connect very well with English fans. He is massively divisive. I mean, I'm also Rev Pro cockpit shows. He was pretty much a regular on those. And he, no. There was a guy, his manager in Ref Pro, uh, Lord Gideon Gray, his big gimmick was doing ring introductions for him, you know, proclaiming he's undefeated, 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 just imagine in a lot more gravelly voice with veins bulging out of your head and you're kind of there. But that legitimately was his gimmick. Like he, as it stands now, is one half of Ref Pro's tag team champions. Absolutely no idea how they're going to, you know, write out of this one, but, you know, no, he's now you know, back in New Japan, teaming with Will Osprey. And, you know, if you'd asked me back in, what, back in September when we last spoke, you know, if Will Ospreay's going to get a faction, he's going to leave Chaos and you know, go up against Ricardo, Great Khan would have been the absolute last name I would have picked, you know, the other guy in this equation. It's hard to disagree with that thinking about how it could play out, and that's what I was going to go to next. You know, we went into the tournament, uh, Ian, talking about the controversy surrounding Will Ospreay, and now, if you just look at it from an in-ring perspective, a completely different character for him coming out of this G1, and that's what I like about this tournament usually every year is, you know, you do get different directions and ways you can build things after all these matches that take place uh, throughout this tournament, and that's certainly, I think, going to be the case here for Will Ospreay, who uh, is definitely heading in a different direction uh, in terms of the character that, that he is ready to seemingly take on uh, here at this point moving forward. I mean, there has been some degree of speculation, going to put it like that, the, you know, the first match that they've got believed on uh, Friday is, um, sorry, Power Struggle is... Great Khan against uh, Kazuto Ricardo, you know, but not doing Osprey or Card because why on earth would they? That to me screams you know, very high for Card for Tokyo Dome. But uh, this Friday they are doing at uh, First Road Power Struggle Show your you know, usual build up tag match of Okan and Osprey against uh, Okada and Gabriel Kidd. And there's quite a few people in the UK suggesting. Is this going to be Osprey, you know, grabbing various people in Britain to go on his side? To me, I honestly would be very surprised if they did that. I think it's what second on the card at uh, Cork and Hall on Friday. That to me seems way too soon. Um, but at the same time, it makes sense. But how many more British people or people from the UK are around? I mean, supposedly for start of the pandemic, all of the young lines went back to Japan or, in Hitler's case, back to the States. 
Um, so in theory, Venerita and Shoshimino are, are back in Japan. But you know, bear in mind, you know, they literally just went on their excursion, what, a year ago? Far too soon, I think, you've also be plugged into that kind of thing. But, you know, it does keep questions going. You know, they are looking to expand. And was that, you know, that big uh, debate during the G1? There was rumblings about the big faction reset, which, thankfully, they did not do at any point in the G1. You know, not in the case of, you know, like, the Raw SmackDown draft, which we then went on to ignore. But, um, yeah. Some degree of change is always welcome. You know, the factions I've been saying for a while had been getting stale for a long time. And okay, Osprey, you know, I don't say love my hate because I personally am not a fan just to be out for ring stuff. At least they are doing something different rather than he's yet another guy in chaos. There's a layer of unpredictability to some of this. And I think with Osprey, you know, he takes this forward trying to build his own empire. Um, and I think that's something that, that obviously, you know, people will have their eye on here to see uh, what kind of comes to that and how he sort of builds uh, this thing uh, here, you know, in New Japan as after after this G1. So uh, two of the guys, Ian, I wanted to talk about, uh, they really stepped up and had some great performances. Uh, these are two guys that I've always loved, and I was really excited to see uh, how things played out for them in this G1. Uh, Shingo and Taichi, uh, in your ratings, uh, I think Shingo had three of the top six matches in this tournament. And then with Taichi, you know, the shtick, I guess, has gotten old for people at times with the shenanigans, uh, outside interference, all that stuff. Uh, but this, I thought, was a big step for him going forward because uh, he had some really good performances here. And I hope that's something uh, that we see continue uh, just in terms of maybe the evolution of Chai Chi's uh, character uh, there in New, in New Japan. I mean, I mean, you've got to think of Tai Chi and Shingo until you know, not very long ago were still juniors. You know, so Tai Chi for me, you know, and again, I think you know, a lot of people have probably noticed in the G1 and you know, be COVID if you want to call it that. There's been very little in the way of seconds, managers, valets, whatever you want to call it, but don't play a part much. I think it's literally Ed over Jay White and Dick Togo for evil. So you've not seen Peter, you've not seen uh, Miyawabe with Tai Chi. And what's meant is that you know, those guys like Tai Chi and Yudro have had to cut all the shtick of their matches that involve them completely out. So this particular tune, you know, it's not Tai Chi going to the timekeeper, grabbing the bell hammer, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't that and the talking, that and using, you know, Mihoabe as a you know, human shield kind of thing. And you no, know, it was toned down. I mean, I think in the entire tune was only one match that I would call of the old style of Tai Chi, which was ironically against uh, Minoru Suzuki. But I think for a lot of people, Tai Chi's really opened a lot of eyes. I mean, the big question of him was never could he do it? The big question of him was always consistency. And okay, it's a G1 or nine matches. A lot of people can you know, put a big effort on for a month and then go back to the old way. So we'll see where he settles on that. With uh, Shingo, much less of a surprise. I don't think it's been a case of can he do it? It's been a case of will they let him? You know, coming in from Dragon Gate about well, two years ago now, you know, a lot. I, mean, I haven't watched much Dragon Gate, but I know a lot of people whose opinions I trust and put a lot of uh, stock in. You know, absolutely rave about him. You know, and you know, really, he's had a few flirtations with you know the, the never title briefly, but I do get the worry of it because of ABH when he's come in, and also the fact that he wasn't in any way developed by New Japan. 
I've got a feeling that, you know, there may be the proverbial glass ceiling on his career, which is a shame, but at least you know, when we do get the matches, I mean, in the, in the con we're going to be linking to. He had my joint highest match of the tournament against the Cardo on night 13, you know, three quarter stars. Um, you know, and a lot of it was very hype, you know, against Osprey, against um, you know, Kota Ibushi, which, you know, there's two guys if you can't have a good match with, there's something seriously wrong with you, but I think just in general, for a guy who, I'd say maybe, I'd say Doom, perhaps not likely to stay above the upper mid cards for any prolonged period of time, he knocked out the park to Chingle. Yeah, he was great, and he's always someone that, that stands out. I, I have to watch him, you know, no matter who he's facing. I say, all right, I've got to watch this match. And uh, speaking of some other stuff that, that happened in this tournament, let's talk about the Bullet Club. Uh, Evil now set up for another match with Naito at Power Struggle. Uh, we didn't know where Jay White would fit into the mix due to being out for a while due to the pandemic. And now uh, the big question, Ian, is uh, what's the next thing uh, for Bullet Club? So if you look at the lineup for Power Struggle, I mean, no, not give away, no, much away. Evil and Jay White and Kenta all of my cards. Um, now, to me, I don't think they do a big bang at the moment, but one of the things that was announced during the G1, which you know, caught me by surprise, is the tour that starts in mid-November, the World Tag League Best of Super Junior joint tour. Um, so that's one where they're starting with the joint World Tag League and Best of Junior show on November 15th, and they're alternating and then the finals, I believe it's in Budokan on uh, December 11th, another joint show. But no, so they're clearly condensing World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors, which to me makes me wonder, right, you look, I mean, you look at New Japan Tag Team at the moment, there are very few regular tag teams. You know, even Zack Junior and Taichi were, dare I say, to be classic WWE trope of take two singles guys we aren't using, put them in the team, there you go. Apart from that, you're probably going to be looking, and this is where I'm expecting this, is for World Tag League, you're probably going to get two Bullet Club tag teams, and whether it's, I don't know, Evil and Kenta, or you know, Jay White and Kenta, and you know, whichever, you know, who sorts the last man out to tag with huge or something like that. And you have that friend rivalry throughout the whole tournament. Maybe that's the final like, match of two Bullet Club teams together. You know, the one of tight with a huge run, you know, lie down like we saw with Jay White in the tournament. Things blow up and then it's, you know, been one big you know, con all along and all that kind of thing. Um, I think the fact that they are actually doing a World Tag League when, let's be honest, they absolutely don't need to. Might be a bit of a tell, they may be saving the Bullet Club split for that. That's something I hadn't even thought about, but yes, I mean, that's that's a way that, that it could play out. And you always get, you know, those tiny aspects that could build into something, uh, but we don't necessarily ever know where it's headed because we have to wait and see where it plays out. Um, you know, just based on, again, how many matches there are in this tournament, how many different stories you can kind of put into the mix. And I think New Japan always does a pretty good job of that uh, with things like that. Uh, a couple other things here. Uh, we know match ratings are subjective. I try to say that as many times as I I can, uh, but I was right there with you in terms of the top two matches in the G1 this year. You had Tanahashi versus Naito on night two, and Shingo versus Okada on night 13 as your top two matches. You rated those uh, four and three-quarter stars. Uh, what stood out to you about those two matches in terms of uh, maybe what made you feel like uh, those were the best two uh, that were in this tournament? I think you know, start the first one, Tanahashi Naito, bad was night two, you know, the G1 started with uh, Block A being real hot, nothing to say. 
And I think one thing that you know, we've said going in was Block A was going to be the worker show. Block B was going to be the storyline heavy one now. As it turned out, the Bullet Club that wasn't really the case. But I think with Naito and Tanahashi, you had that storyline baked in from you know, Tanahashi Summer. You know, lost the tag team titles. Seemingly had his knee torn apart like tear and share bread for the entire summer because of the Suzuki gun. He even lost the tag team with Ibushi because, you know, the coach was just fed up of losing. And he had his one opportunity here to, you know, not be that fallen star, but, you know, the storylines paint man's the whole summer long. Um, you know, this one we've had, by the end of two, we've had a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these matches which went really long. I mean, I lost track of the number of stories, was the number of matches we had which were flat out teasing a time limit draw. I run this fat young lines block, which was doing the morning. I think I uh, just put my report be there. Naito over to Tanahashi in 2716 was just the way that you, know, you didn't really have that feeling from the start of being, you know, we've had a lot of these long matches, was you not know, they don't well, even the final, which I know was, you know, was very divisive. You had the first five minutes, they did literally nothing worse than this. You know, you had hesitation on that, but it didn't feel like. Oh, we've got to do 27 minutes. I've only got 10 minutes of material. Let's, you know, drag it out, wash, rinse, repeat, that kind of thing. But genuinely felt like not quite uh, Tanahashi's last hurrah, but certainly felt like a great big Hail Mary attempt from him to get back to where in his mind he thinks he is. And you know, you've got to think only two years ago, he won this whole tournament. So to go from winning the G1 in you know, 2018 to you know, where did you fit in a way finish now? Um just pulling up the last night but yeah, wait, wait, finish now. Like he was in the bottom half of that table. That is very unusual for you know for, for Tanahashi to go from the peak, and I think he even won the title of Wrestle Kingdom Man here to so far out of the picture. I mean, I'm looking at these cards for power struggle, and you know, apart from that, you know, briefcase thing with Kenta, he's got nothing. You imagine saying that two years ago, you know, after you know, Wrestle Kingdom 2019, you know, you've won the big one. Well, now, yeah, you've got, you know, you're fighting for a briefcase that's also been fought on a pre-taped show over in America. It's like, you know, that's a bit of a you know, weird situation for old Tanahashi to be in. It's interesting. Uh, of course, you know, the internet rumors, they always run wild. And I think the biggest thing uh, that you see people talking about uh, at this point in wrestling is, uh, you know, Tanahashi was on. Jericho's anniversary show uh, in AEW and everyone's looking at the potential, uh, you know, New Japan, AEW working relationship with Harold May out. And maybe people are wondering, could we get Moxley versus Tanahashi? Could we get some of these other matches uh, that everyone wants to see? Um, but, you know, as we've said, with the restrictions in place, that's probably something that's going to be in the future if it happens in terms of what the possibilities could be there. Uh, but it is something that I think a lot of people are looking at in terms of, uh, you know, what's next for New Japan and uh, people are looking at different possibilities like that. But at the same point, you know, if you, you know I mean, I know not many people are watching it these days, but the NJPW Strong Show, you know, there's a lot of that stuff in the can. They're also doing Kendra against David Finley for the same briefcase. So, have these two, I mean, it's almost like WCW back in the day, where you had, you know, some stuff in the can, some stuff, you know, sort of live. You know, it would not surprise me if you had some kind of situation where Finley wouldn't be the case, but lost it straight back before this. I mean, it's very, very, you know, unlikely. But I've got the same quote unquote title in two different 
universe is one bit of word at the same time. It's very unusual. I mean, it's to me, it's almost um, self-defeating because, like, I found and I find this every G one when you get towards the final nights when you start looking at the whole permutation side of things. Like, you know, for some matters where it's like, well, if I think it's going into the penultimate B block show where one result in the main event would have wiped out the entire box. Like, well, you're not doing two shows for nothing. Like, you're not doing two shows where there's no stakes. Therefore, the main event of that night has to be this. And I'm just going to try and pull that, you know, that particular result up so I'm not uh, not keeping myself honest. We have the thing the show we did on, uh, October, on October 11. They did um, things. It's the Evil Nigel one. Uh, Evil Nigel main event. And, a lot of people are thinking, okay, Naito's going to win, but at the same time, if he did, it would have meant he would have won the block, and you would have had not only the debut show for New Japan in the new Yokohama Bunker Arena, but you also would have had the final night of B block with Naito's. Like, you know, they do this intentionally. It's not a case of, oh, we're in this, pot, in this spot, oh, well, we need to you know, do this, otherwise we're screwed. But it also means that when you get to this spot and you realise, hey, if this happens, we've got two shows to be meaningless, it does kind of kill a lot of the, you know, the drama attention. I mean, yeah, maybe it, it, this is also overthinking things, but at the same point in a tournament like this, you do also, in the, in the back of your own mind, keep running total of if this happens, what happens next. So, yeah, it maybe it's uh, you know, a quirk of the scheduling, but um, what also has led to, though, the evil win over night means, unfortunately, we get yet another evil night match at Pal- Yes, uh, I think that's everyone's reaction uh, that we're getting <laughs> that again at Power Struggle. And, uh, of course, you'll be able to find coverage of all that on 411 Mania. But before we wrap it up, Ian, uh, two quick hitters here I'm going to throw at you. Let's start with this. Uh, the most surprising thing for you coming out of this G1 was? Uh, but we're getting Tori Arnold against Zack Sabre Jr. for that goddamn trophy. That's not the first time I've expected that defense to be against, but... You know, here we go. I mean, by that point, you know, we've got the Colkin Hall on Friday. Zack Sabre Jr. could be holding two titles and looking to leave with two bits of gold and a trophy, which, yeah, like I say, not wasn't expecting Zack Sabre Jr. to be in, in that spot, but here he is. I wasn't expecting that either, so uh, that's a good pick. And uh, let's go to most disappointing. It's hard to be disappointed, I think, with a tournament that gives you so many good matches, but uh, what for you was the biggest disappointment in this particular G1? I think coming out for G1, I mean, no. if you go by the whole pecking order kind of thing, we didn't have anybody really breaking out from their spot. Like, you know, out was a few people expected maybe this year Shingo would really push for spot. Well, in the end, he was six points off the Bushi in first place. You, know, you had, you know, I had Kent Downs winning. Okay, he was only two points off the lead, but still, he was so far gone by the end of the tournament. Like, I was literally thinking of, He's going to have to win this match. He's going to have to be no contest. Yeah, but it's a, it's a lost cause. Uh, and I do think with this, while we may have seen Tanahashi fall from the top into maybe the middle of the order, we didn't see anybody go either way. And you know, you, know, you look at the situation we've got now where there's a lot of guys in the you know, supposed speculations with the guys who are in Japan now, they're in at least Wrestle Kingdom, so we, we shouldn't be seeing too much change on the cards. But I think the fact that, you know, we are effectively still looking at the same kind of rosters we had maybe a year ago, minus all the, you know, the imports. I think it's a bit of a mischance to maybe try out a new name from this pack. So, no, I'm not saying we really push maybe a you know, tie sheet for top of the card, 
but you know, fact that you had nobody break off from where they've always been. You know, if you look at where people were in the G1 a month you know, before the G1 to where they are now, you know, maybe a you know, slight shuffle ahead in the pack, but nobody's really broken out. I think for me, especially when right now you're selling out shows with reduced capacities, I felt like this is one way you really could have taken a chance on somebody and to see, you know, if you no know, if uh, stuff sticks to all. That's a good point, and it does feel like lots of people are in the same spot maybe moving forward. You know, we talked about guys like Sonata earlier, uh, some of the guys who maybe finished in the middle uh, of the pack and some of these. Uh, so, yes, I think that is a good point. Uh, but, Ian, uh, this is always fun to catch up with you, uh, and I know, as I've said many times, you've got a lot going on at 411 Mania with all your written work. Uh, so let everybody know where they can find all your work on New Japan, NXT UK, and all sorts of stuff. Yep, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, I've literally just set up a new account because there's a lot of spring clean need my old account and it just felt better getting a new stuff. It said it was just my wrestling stuff. So you can follow me over at Ian Wrestling on Twitter. Um, guess the next few weeks, uh, Rev Pro, they've got a new pay-per-view coming up. Well, was PayPal going to be on Twitch this Sunday, so to be review of that coming up. And also starting, uh, well, the tournament starts Monday, but WXW um, will go from one tournament into another. They're doing their new round-robin tournament, the Catch Grand Prix. That is starting Monday evening UK time on the WXW streaming service. They're releasing a match a day, so rather than flood the website, I'll be popping in every Sunday with uh, updates on all the matches that's been on. Uh, there's, I believe, 14 names, two blocks of um, two blocks of seven in the tournament. And you know, if you've been reading the shocking reviews we've been doing, there's a lot of names there who you'd be familiar with. Carl uh, Noir, who won 16 Carol Gold, pretty big part of the tournament. Uh, Avalanche, Bobby Guns, current WXW Unified World Champions. In. So if you're into European wrestling, you know, WXW's Catch Grand Prix, that's going to be the big thing I'm seeing. In fact, this is going to be running for seven weeks starting October 26 until, I believe, uh, mid-December. This is going to be around for a long while, so it's not going to be as intense as the G1, but a lot of matches coming out of this, so if you're into those kind of guys who are even just interested at all, time to dive in. Yes, uh, for sure, and we will have the link to Ian's page in the show notes, as always, and that's why I love it, Ian, is because you're able to review so many things, and that offers such a good perspective, I think, for people who don't get a chance to watch all this stuff, and, of course, I, I always bring up the story about how you know Larry was the one that got me into watching New Japan just by reading his G1 coverage many years ago and just going through and saying, wow, you know, I clearly need to watch this. And that's something I always think about because there are a ton of people out there that, that haven't seen this stuff. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that didn't get a chance to watch the G1 all the way through this year because time-wise, we know. I mean, there's a lot of wrestling out there and being able to keep up with it all uh, is not an easy thing to do. But I think having all these different reviews you know, it gives you an idea of what else is out there. And especially, I think, in today's era, where you have so many different options, you know, you can re read the reviews once like yours and say, okay, well, clearly, you know, these are some of the things I need to at least maybe keep my eye on. Even if I don't have a chance to watch it right now, uh, it's definitely something I kind of want to bookmark there and say, okay, I want to try to catch this uh, in the future as a wrestling fan that, that's always looking for good wrestling. I mean, like right now, I mean, the you know, top-up collective weekend, I was, you know, two weekends ago coming up. We had 12 shows over three days. That took a full week to watch. You know, okay, you could have, if you watched it live and all that, you, know, you could have done it you know, live perfectly fine. But if you were trying to, you know, obviously with G1 and you know, uh, you know, real life around it, 
there is a lot going on. And I never understood how on earth Larry could do it. You know, plus you had you know, Roy, SmackDown, TNA, pretty much everything on there. And to me, I always find, you know, I think right about the stuff you love watching, if you just convert one person into it. I'm not saying convert like it's a cult, but if, you, if you're if you writing or my reviews to get anyone into, say, WXW or Rev Pro or when it comes back, Progress or whoever, then you know, it's a new fans, new set of eyes, and who knows where that can go. Absolutely. Uh, so check out all the and stuff. And again, Ian, thanks as always for joining the show and look forward to catching up with you again here soon. Absolutely. All the best, Blake. Thanks again to 411's Ian Hamilton for joining us on the podcast. And uh, again, be sure to check out all of Ian's work over at 411mania.com. The links and everything will be in the show notes on that. So be sure uh, to check all that out. But uh, before we wrap up, uh, let's talk about WWE Hell in a Cell, which is uh, something a lot of people are going to be tuned into uh, on Sunday. And uh, we look at that. We know four matches uh, as I'm recording this. I'm sure there will be more added to it, but uh, I think we already know what the main uh, featured matches are going to be at this event. And so let's start off uh, with talking about uh, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso, which will be an I Quit match uh, inside Hell in a Cell. And uh, if you listen to my Clash of Champions review you know what I think about where things stand with Roman Reigns right now. Uh, this story, to me, is one of the best things going in wrestling, and if you made the argument that it is the best thing going in wrestling, I would not have a, much of an argument to disagree with that because uh, I think they've done a fantastic job with Roman Reigns. Um, obviously, if you go into this match, you're going to expect him to come out the winner, but I think what's made it so great is that, you know, even with the predictability of Roman Reigns winning that match at Clash of Champions and probably going to be winning this match at Hell in a Cell, it's not about, you know, waiting to see who wins or who loses. It's about seeing how it's done. And because they did, did such a great job doing that at Clash of Champions, I think everyone is pretty much hooked now to say, all right, I want to see how this plays out. I know Reigns is going to win this match, but how does this play out? How does it add to that next chapter of the story? Uh, because Reigns has just been fantastic. Uh, but I also think you can't take anything away from Jey Uso because he's been just as important uh, to this whole thing with the way he's played kind of the role that he's played uh, in this storyline. And so uh, I think we have to remember that. As great as Reigns is, uh, you have to give some props to Jey Uso because uh, he's been really good here in terms of playing the character he has to play to help Reigns get over. And uh, so I think you give both of these men a lot of credit for what they've been able to do, and I have no doubt uh, that they will continue that here uh, because Reigns has taken it to another level, as we know, uh, and I'm very fascinated to see where things go from here. Uh, and, and I fully expect this to be another one of those matches that is must-see just to see how the character development continues uh, for Roman Reigns and what he's capable of uh, inside a cell in an I Quit match. Uh, there are lots of possibilities, I think, in terms of taking that character up another notch, and uh, that's going to be fun uh, for sure. Drew McIntyre defends uh, his title against Randy Orton. Uh, this one will also be inside of Hell in a Cell. Um, I go back to Clash of Champions, and I remember specifically one thing I said was, this is probably the blow-off for this. When you have an ambulance match, when you had all the legends come back and sort of get their revenge on Randy Orton. But they drag this forward now to Hell in a Cell, and, and I don't think this program necessarily has the same type of heat it had a couple months ago. Um, again, because I think this is a scenario 
where WWE paints themselves into a corner with these gimmick pay-per-views where you have, you know, an entire pay-per-view built around a gimmick match uh, to where, all right, it's really hard to just throw a new feud together and put it into Hell in a Cell. Uh, so I think that's kind of WWE booking themselves into a corner uh, because you probably didn't need to go back to True McIntyre versus Randy Orton after you had the ambulance match, after really the way the story was told in that match to where it seemed like basically a send-off for Orton in this feud, and Drew McIntyre was ready to move on to, to bigger and better things. If you don't have Hell in a Cell on the schedule, my guess is you probably go to something completely different. Uh, but they're like, okay, we can't start a feud and just throw it into a cell. You know, you can't have McIntyre go directly into a cell with a new challenger probably, uh, but maybe that's why they continued that here. I do think uh, this one is certainly not as clear-cut in terms of uh, who wins this match. I can't say I would be shocked if Randy Orton won the title here, uh, but uh, I also think it's a scenario where you know it, it's really hard to tell after the draft because there are obviously more possibilities you can go to with different people on the roster, uh, but I would not be shocked if Orton won the title here. Uh, the betting odds uh, still favor Drew McIntyre uh, if you like to look at the, uh, the betting odds for WWE, but... I'm sure this will be a good match, but like I said, I don't necessarily know that it's one that necessarily needed to be uh, put here at this point. I think they probably could have ended it, uh, you know, with that that match of Clash of Champions. But uh, again, it's just a matter of the schedule and uh, knowing that you had to have a Hell in a Cell match and you wanted to certainly have Drew McIntyre, your champion, on the card against someone. Um, it, I guess it does make sense just to, to go back to Orton, although I think they could have probably been a little bit more creative uh, in terms of what they did, but, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, of having this pay-per-view, uh, and uh, I think that's something that many people have brought up uh, throughout the years, is, is when you have these gimmick pay-per-views uh, that are built around these matches, um, you know, sometimes you have to put matches together that, um, you know, just to make it make somewhat sense, I guess, um, and I, I suppose that's what they tried to do here with this one, but uh, I just think, you know, having having pay-per-views built around these matches um, is not always a good thing, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a spectacle, it's different, but uh, when you have so many of these matches, uh, it just sort of takes away the overall significance of it, uh, just based on, you know, does it feel special? And I think when you have so many of these matches, it doesn't necessarily feel special uh, anymore. But uh, we will get those two inside uh, Hell in a Cell, and we'll also get a third Hell in a Cell match with Bailey defending her title against Sasha Banks. And uh, now, if you're talking about a match that uh, deserves the Hell in a Cell, uh, I think this one could certainly warrant it because, uh, as we know, this had a slow burn storyline that has played out for a while and and this is one you know that that kind of is made for hell in a cell and that's what we say it's it's when you have this pay-per-view let's let's say for instance if you just had this to where you know it's october if you go back uh in wwe history the october pay-per-view used to be no mercy if you just had this pay-per-view called no mercy right now would this just be a, a potential scenario where okay you don't have to put all these matches in hell in a cell but Guess what? You can bring out the Hell in a Cell. You can put Bailey and Sasha Banks in it, and and you've got your spectacle right there because uh, that in and of itself uh, would just be something. But because there are so many other matches on this card that have the same stipulation, maybe it doesn't feel as special. Uh, but either way, I think we know what we're getting here. This should be really fun. Um, you know, I know there were some rumors that this could be the match that main evented the show. Uh, I guess we'll see. But 
Overall, I mean, I just think this is one that, that was made for Hell in a Cell because uh, we've seen how this has all played out with these two going from best friends uh, to now, you know, complete enemies. And and I think it's a scenario where you're probably going to see Sasha Banks uh, win the title, snap Bailey's long, long streak. Uh, but uh, that would be something I think that would really play well to the story. And uh, this is just one that I said, it, you know, at Clash of Champions, I've talked about it on this podcast before. I just think they've done such a good job with these two uh, and how they built up, you know, that friendship, how they built up them basically uh, dominating WWE basically throughout this entire pandemic era. And then you had the turn and now you set it up for this match uh, at Hell in a Cell. So uh, I'm just really looking forward to this one. I think this could be one that that certainly uh, as much as I love Roman Reigns and I think that he'll probably be the talk of this coming out of it. uh, I also think that uh, in terms of uh, just what we could get from Bailey and Sasha, Uh, It could be really great uh, for sure. And then Jeff Hardy and Elias also on the show. We had Elias, of course, make his comeback recently. Um, He's promoting his new album. uh, And now Jeff Hardy is the next one in line for him. Uh, The betting odds. uh, Again, I just I'm always fascinated by the the betting odds uh, for WWE pay-per-views. But uh, Elias is currently the betting favorite. uh, So we'll see. Uh, This is another one that they kind of came together, you know, pretty quickly. It's a little bit different than the others uh, where you've had feuds that have been going on for several months. Uh, This one came together pretty quickly but uh this is another one where i think you know you bring elias back you put him in the spot i assume he probably gets the win here uh since you just brought him back and maybe you're trying to to build him towards something you don't know exactly what that's going to be uh but uh this you know it's another where, where i think you look at it and jeff hardy's kind of in that role now to where um you know i don't necessarily see jeff hardy being in a situation where he's challenging for for world titles or anything like that uh, but he's someone that they're going to put in there to, to work with some of these guys, uh, with, with the younger guys, and maybe some of these other potential storylines you could go to with him. Uh, but uh, this is another one. should be a solid match, but uh, luckily it will not be inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, so uh, should be a solid match, though, uh, there between those two. But those are the four matches that we know right now as I'm recording this. Uh, again, there will be more added to it, but uh, it should be should be a fun pay-per-view. I mean, as much as I talk about Hell in a Cell and, and you know, saying that obviously it's, it's just different to have so many different Cell matches, on the same show uh, it takes away um, that that level of uniqueness I think that obviously you used to have with Hell in a Cell you'll still get some good quality here I can't deny that and as much as people uh, have a hard time maybe watching a show like Raw right now which I'm just gonna admit myself included um, it's really tough but I think once you get to these pay-per-views um, you at least certainly feel like you're, you're getting mostly matches you're getting the stories that should be on these pay-per-views um, and maybe don't have a lot of that other stuff uh, that, that's sort of dragging it down, you know, that maybe people aren't as uh, thrilled with in WWE right now. But uh, the top three matches here are all strong, and uh, they should all uh, deliver, I think, in, in a really big way uh, on this show. So uh, there's some thoughts on Hell in a Cell. Of course, also this weekend, it's a jam-packed uh, weekend in wrestling. Bound for Glory takes place uh, on Saturday. Impact Wrestling has really been, and I think we sort of talked about this probably on the podcast we did with Steve Cook, Uh, Several weeks ago, Impact has been a show that has been a lot better maybe than than people think. And I think there's sort of that scenario where you look at it and it was easy at one point, you know, because of all the wrestling that was out there to kind of throw Impact behind some of the others and maybe not have a chance to, to watch it. But 
I'll tell you, this has been a, a really, I think, improved product that they've had over the last little while. And uh, I would highly recommend uh, checking out uh, Impact and maybe catching up on what they've been doing. And certainly, I mean, if you want to just jump right into it, uh, you know, order Bound for Glory, because I think you'll probably get your money's worth. Uh, this should be a pretty good show. A headline uh, with the Impact World Title match between Eric Young and Rich Swan. You've also got three other titles uh, defended on the show. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo defends the Impact Knockouts title against Kylie Ray. You've got the Tag Team Championship match, Motor City Machine Guns taking on the North, the Good Brothers, and Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. That should be a fun uh, four-way match there. Then you've got the X Division title on the line in a six-way match. Moose versus EC3. Uh, Ken Shamrock uh, going to be taking on Eddie Edwards. And then you've got the uh, Call Your Shot uh, gauntlet match, which is going to be a unique uh, setting, that's for sure, uh, in terms of uh, this uh, you this gauntlet match and all the different participants uh, that will be in this thing. So uh, I think it's a really good-looking card. Uh, I think it's one, like I said, if, if you want to just maybe jump into Impact Wrestling and kind of give yourself a better idea of what the product looks like right now, uh, this would be a good starting point because I think you're going to get some some good quality here. And, you know, it obviously helps to kind of go back and check out the stories that have built to a show like this, which we know kind of where Bound for Glory is for Impact Wrestling. I mean, it's it's a huge show. It's the biggest show. Uh, and so I would go back if you have a chance to maybe catch up on it, uh, watch a couple episodes of Impact here for the past, you know, several weeks, months, whatever long, you're however much you can get to uh, before Bound for Glory, but would highly recommend uh, checking out the that show because you know as we talked about with Ian too there's just so much good wrestling right now and there I, I know and, and that's one of the things I brought up is it's hard to get to it all but if you just go out and sort of seek out what you can uh, outside of maybe the, the top ones, which we know, I mean, WWE, AEW, um, you know, they have the weekly television. They're the ones that are getting the most attention. But when you look at Impact, uh, you know, when you look at Ring of Honor, it still has the pure tournament going on, uh, New Japan, which we talked about in this episode. There's just so much good wrestling out there. And, of course, the pandemic has limited a lot of different things. But uh, now that we're starting to see some of these promotions maybe get back to running regularly uh, and trying to pick things back up, uh, there is. There's a lot of good wrestling out there, and there'll be a lot of good wrestling uh, this weekend with Hell in a Cell and uh, Bound for Glory. So check all that out. Uh, but, of course, also check out everything going on at 411mania.com. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff uh, happening over there. And, uh, again, be sure uh, to check out all of our live coverage of all these events uh, that we mentioned here. Uh, talk about Hell in a Cell, Bound for Glory. Um, you can check out everything on there. Uh, if you want the AEW coverage, uh, we've had, you know, of course, our new Dissecting Dynamite post. Uh, show on YouTube. I was uh, had the opportunity to join Andy Perez on the first episode of that. Our, our friend Tony Acero uh, joined him on the second episode, so catch up on those that you may have missed. And we've got a lot of other stuff uh, on YouTube now, some great content uh, that we have. We've got the new uh, Wrestle Takes Mania uh, show. That's a fun one. Uh, you can check out there with the guys, with Joe and Eric. Uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, their first episode is up. You can check that out uh, on the 411 YouTube channel. Also, uh, My Big Break, another series we have, uh, Big Swole, who is, of course, in AEW. Uh, she was the first guest on that and talked about a lot of different subjects uh, there. So check out all the great stuff. I mean, again, we're, we're really 
really starting to to ramp up uh, some of the things we're doing from a video standpoint. And, of course, here on the podcast, we've got some fun ideas uh, that we have coming up here for the podcast as well. So uh, lots of good stuff. If you want to read, you can read all at 411mania.com. If you want to watch, you can watch it all on the 411 uh, YouTube channel. And if you want to listen, you can find that here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast and our 411 Interviews Podcast uh, with Jeffrey Harris. So you can check all that out. And, again, here on the podcast, be sure to subscribe. Uh, any podcast app you use, you can find it on there. And, as always, uh, we do have the link uh, to the GoFundMe uh, for Larry Zonka's family still in the show notes. So uh, continue to share that if you can. And uh, thanks, as always, uh, for listening. Be safe. And we'll talk to you guys next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. Podcast.